says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Ship Podcast. Pardon me for the somberness in the voice, but as always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020, coming to you shortly after the uh, the loss in the grand final, joining me to break down all the action from the game, from the two games that were there today is my good mate, 60s, who was there watching all 150 minutes of football with me across the course of the Sunday. We've had time to get back to our home 60s and, and sort of not collect ourselves because I don't think it's, it's long enough to collect yourself, but here we are ready to try and dive into what we saw on the field today. How are you holding up? Yeah, it's an empty feeling, isn't it? It was uh, one of those matches where because Penrith was so good that I think they, they really, after about 15 minutes, took the crowd completely Absolutely. out of the equation. Absolutely. And, and there was... You know, we were just left feeling flat, and and I think, I don't know, maybe it's maybe I'm only seeing it through my eyes that the atmosphere felt flat after that, but um, it, it was just the case of they're just a quality to- a quality team. Um, yeah, if you had the sum of the game in two words, too good. That that's what yeah, for you on the too day. Good. And it'll it's going to take them. I, I just tweeted this. It's going to take a mighty team to stop them from going oh, three in the, a row next year. I, I am with 100% faith in saying this, that any of the other 14 teams in the competition would have been rolled tonight. Uh, it, oh. Not just Parramatta, Penrith. I mean, I, I missed it because obviously we're walking uh, out of the stadium in the in the post-wrap-up there, but evidently one of the, the presses or press got to Ivan Cleary and, and asked him, you know, what do you think of the performance? And he said he's never seen his team play that well. And that, that is God's own truth right there. They came out and just dominated this game. And the Eels valiantly tried to stay in it. But Penrith were just on another level. And, and it is so frustrating to say that, but that is the reality of the situation is that they just played an absolute blind. If we just look at the numbers, 60s, 55% possession to Parramatta's 45, nearly plus six minutes in time of possession, 86% completion rate to Parramatta's 69, uh, up in every single key attacking category, 212 runs to Parramatta's 200, 2,100 running metres to Parramatta's 1,580. Uh, post-contact metres, 723. Parramatta, 538. Seven line breaks to three. 46 tackle breaks to 36. Uh, tack on an extra four metres in every set compared to Parramatta's. Made more kick return metres. Uh, the Eels had a slightly faster play to ball, which is hard to believe, but it's never a good sign, as we know. Uh, and the only the only attacking stat the Eels really dominated was offloads, 19-6. And unfortunately for Parramatta, they weren't the quality offloads that we've come to expect of the likes of Junior and Maddo and company. Yeah, I, I think there was certainly a lot of uh, offloads and as it got into that second, deeper into the second half, and we were trying to look to force something. I'm not saying there wasn't the offloads there in the first half as well, but we weren't in any any sort of attacking opportunity at all in that first oh, half. We, it took oh, us to, what, 50 or 60 minutes into the game to get our first play the ball in the red zone, I felt like. Yeah, I was just, I was just going to say, uh, have we got any stats on how many play the balls there were in the, in the, uh, uh, in Penrith's half in the first half? Because I'm struggling to think of, of too much more than <clears throat> one, one and a bit sets. 
that might have been about it. We'll have to wait for Colmack to come through on your end, mate, because the NRL stats don't uh, accommodate those sort of things. What they do tell us, though, surprisingly, is that the Eels were much better defensively in terms of effective tackle rate, which is really hard to believe. Uh, 88.34% to Penrith, 81.82. Like six and a half points swing there, which is really crazy to see. But uh, what really made it up was the fact that the Eels made nearly 100 more tackles, only missed eight more compared to Penrith, and made a stack less ineffective. 34 for Penrith, the Paramount is eight, which is really hard to fathom when you think back on the game and just how physically dominant the Panthers were. Might be a case of the numbers not telling the full story here, obviously, or the initial pass on the stats not being fully up to scratch. But the negative plays, 12 errors for Parramatta to Penrith, 7. Five penalties conceded apiece. Two ruck infringements for Penrith to Parramatta is 1. Klein wasn't really happy to blow the whistle in this game, or at least called the ruck stuff, uh, which you know favoured Penrith with their ability to dominate the ruck. Both teams used seven interchanges apiece. That's the tale of the team stats there, 60s. In terms of the individual stats, I mean, I, I click across and I see Brian Tottle just one tick short of 300 metres here. He was huge in this game. Uh, could have been close going to the Clive Churchill. I think it went to Dylan Edwards in the end, which was a very fair selection by the boy. But for the Eels, just we, we got no traction. Guffo ended up with 163 metres. Uh, joining him in the 100-metre club from the back line was both Mike Acevo and Bowie Simonson. Dill went for 117 but struggled to penetrate that strong defensive line of the Penrith Panthers. Even Mitch had 84 running metres, so both halves tried. like They tried so hard. But, you know, Penrith just absolutely dialed in, locked in for about 75 minutes in this game until those last couple of tries. And then you look at the forwards, and that probably tells you the story, 60s. Reg, only 82 metres. Junes, 98 metres. Uh, Lane went for 121, but was struggling to get his hands on the ball. And, uh, and, and to the point of, like, even holding on to the ball, honestly. Ice, 130 metres, uh, which also included that nice little try assist to Quinton Gufferson late in the game. Maddo, I thought he worked his ass off, 150 metres. But then after that, uh, 59 metres for Brown, of the Nathan variety, uh, 46 metres for Oggy, 35 metres for Murata. Like, that, it's just not good enough. It, it, it tells you the story of how the Panthers dominated, doesn't it? Yeah, it was – I mean, I, I'm looking at um, – I don't know whether these stats are changing because I think we're, we're both looking at the NRL stats. Um, and uh, I've got I've got here that uh, Dylan Brown up to 146 metres. Let me like, see. It seems like they've – Yes, they have. They have literally done a live refresh from when I just started the podcast six minutes ago, and had the stats ready to go. So yeah, they've bumped up uh, Dill to 146 meters. Junior is now at 106. Uh, that looks like the most notable two changes there. Um, Bailey got a little bit got a little bit of a bump up there too. Yeah, just that that that's about it though. Just and like it's not like I'm upset at our boy sixty. Like it's just that. They, they obviously tried, but they just couldn't get a grip hold at any point in the first 50 or 60 minutes. And the, uh, maybe you can look at the one chance that we had in the first half when we came off that penalty and we went for the trick shot and we kicked the head on the first tackle for Dill for Moses. And that could have been a set where we, we could have at least felt them out. Uh, it's just one of those ones where you look back on it, it's like, oh, like if it comes off, yeah, you're going to have a ton of momentum. But at the same time, you want to at least test the penalty defensive line on their goal line. Yeah, and we, we we spoke about that down at the ground about whether that was even like a sliding door sort of moment mm-hmm. where uh, I, I said the <laughs> theoretically I, I had no problem with Parramatta going for a, a bit of a trick shot and trying to catch Penrith unawares, but the the flip side of that was the pattern of the match was 
already that we weren't getting any play the balls in Penrith's half. And this was the opportunity to, as you said, like start to just feel them out a bit. Just, you know, maybe maybe test them here or there. Take the physical contest to them. And uh, in, instead, we didn't. We turned possession straight over and then they worked their way back downfield just far too easily. And, and I mean, I, I was wondering too, and I'm after your opinion on this, it was obvious that at certain points in the game, Parramatta's line speed mm. became very passive, yeah. very passive. However, it was that the nature of their line speed all through the game or was that the product of the lack of possession, the, um, the, the fatigue that was put in to the team? Yeah, well, we, we came out in the first few sets, there was some fire and brimstone. We were really laying the wood on the Panthers. It looked like it was going to be a real tough physical clash going past the 20-minute mark, but the, the Panthers just kept on pouring on the pressure and, I, I would say to a degree, a function of our line speed evaporating was just the, the relentless possession and pressure that Penrith were able to apply on our team. But uh, it also felt to me like and this is hard to qualify because a huge portion of this was just how keyed in and locked in Penrith were, but we weren't chasing the collisions. I know BA loves to use that term. We, we just weren't chasing the collisions the way we have in our best performances in the 2022 season and unfortunately when it's all left on the line there you know you do come to rule it and it's going to be one of those games where like i like we said in the, the like we said in the uh the kickoff to the show penrith was so damn good but when they look at the tape i reckon our boy is going to be upset with some of the opportunities that they still left there looking at this game just you know individual tackles not pushing i think there was a, a nathan cleary line break early in the first half where we were just getting sloppy around the ruck you know, just all those little things like that that they're going to look back and say, we could have been a little bit harder there. You know, we could have pushed across a little bit more. You know, yeah, I, there was I, I could a, have there made that players, tackle. There were players that, um, and oh, I don't know that you can necessarily target any of them and say it was specifically this person or that person, but I said to you during the, the middle to latter part of that first half that there were players missing their assignments. Yes, yeah, without a doubt. Out because there was far too much there was far too much ground that was being made. I mean, look, we'll, we have to point out to people that we were viewing the game from behind, like diagonal to the corner post. Like we we were, so we're behind the dead ball line and we we're in row seven. So we didn't really have a great elevation. Uh, we're a lot of times we're looking up at the screen to try and get some sense of how far away from the try line the play was. But what was obvious was that there were uh, we had a partial end-on view really from where yeah. we were, and and you could see that Penrith were working Parramatta from one side of the field to the other. They were really working the Parramatta's defensive positioning, and there were times when when the players were just not either being where they should be, or they were being caught out with sliding a bit too much and be and have it and then the Penrith were working the angles to try and catch out the slide. Um, there were times when players just simply missed a tackle. Uh, it was it was almost like uh, look I, I, it wasn't that it was a, a bad defensive performance from Parramatta. It was just that we never got into 
any sort of ascendancy in any aspect of the game. And this is, um, and to that end, I mean, we, the, the tackles, you know, a couple of players had some very high missed tackle counts. However, to your statement about not chasing the collision, you, you look at when you have tackle count numbers like this. So, you know, we're talking about Ice making 48 tackles, Sean Lane 34, uh, Junior 25, Reed 56, uh, Reg 33, Dylan Brown 30, Mitch Moses 18, Ryan Madison 44, um, even Will Pinacini 22 tackles. So when you're talking about that sort of numbers in the tackles, you're probably starting to get into those realms where you're, uh, it's their scramble tackles or their or their, you know, oh, clean yeah, absolutely, yeah, you know, yeah, sort yeah. of tackles. Yeah, and then and then as further evidence of the lack of collision, you then look at the small running meters. So you've I mean, got you look at you look at defensively, 84. defensively though, Ice missed eleven tackles. When does that ever happen? Like, yeah, you know, it's just yeah, a, it one, just one of those games. And like you but said, you, said you, I just want to come back to this. With yeah, the, the running with meters. The yeah, like Reg eighty four, Junior one hundred and six, uh, Murata forty one, uh, Nathan Brown for the time he was out there fifty nine running meters. Um, you know, there just wasn't the the highest running meters there were from Brian Madison with one hundred and forty six, and then followed by Lane with one hundred and thirty six and Ice with 130 that's the best that the forwards got so there isn't the collision that's happening out there between the packs there was a bit of it like there was some you know superb collision there in the first 10 15 minutes but after that we just didn't have uh we were on the back foot we, yeah. we were constantly marching backwards uh, we couldn't this is why i asked the question earlier it, it seemed like we couldn't get away from being a passive defensive line because the Penrith were just so relentless coming forward in attack that we were um, backpedaling just for so much of the game. And you you look at those sorts of scenarios, and I, I kept saying to you, we need something to change the momentum, that something has to happen to change momentum. It's not going to change by itself. Penrith were just switched on. That was the other thing we spoke about very early in the game. Penrith are on. They were just so on tonight. And it was going to, like, you just couldn't see anyone matching what they were producing. Uh, I, I said as well, like, it's it was almost the perfect game. Now, they made some errors, yeah, but like, they didn't make errors that were costly errors. They And the ball would bounce their way. Um, they got um, they got some calls that fell their way. They, they, they looked. I'll be very clear. They didn't need those things to go their way. They they really didn't. But when you have um, captain's challenges that go your way, uh, call you know calls reversed, um, a, you know a, a try that was a bit questionable whether that should have gone their way, um, ball the the ball bouncing their way when it's put up in the air and hits the ground. They didn't need that tonight, and it was just it was like it was like the icing on the cake that those other bits and pieces fell their way because they were just so dominant in every aspect of the play. And then it just was like, you know, they said that saying about you make your own luck. Mm -hmm. And it was couldn't have been any truer than tonight because 
it was it was just such a well, I think it's a miracle that the scoreline ended up twenty six twelve. I mean, it's a testament to the grit of our boys too, because that could have been a huge buyout by any other metric, and that they managed to dig deep and find a couple of actual rather quality tries late in the game. But it does then lead to the question, 60s, where to from now? Because obviously you always hear the adage, you've got to lose a grand final to win a grand final, which I don't think is true at all, by the way. You know, you look at some of our previous teams in 01 and 09, and for different circumstances, but with the 01 rule change shifting to 02 and then the 09 team just riding that lightning across the back half of the season in an unsustainable fashion, you can't always get back to the grand final. But is this a team, in your estimation, that the adage could ring true for? Is this a grand final that they can actually learn from and grow from heading into the next season or two? Yeah, see, I'm not I'm not a believer in that adage either about you have to lose a grand final to win a grand final because, um, you know, I mean, if we go from our own experience, uh, we lost 76, then lost 77. Uh, and then when we won 81... There was only a small handful of yeah, players. It was that a played largely in the, different team, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and then when you you look at you mentioned the 01 and 09 seasons, uh, we weren't around the next year. We like 01. Uh, it was you know we lost a couple of key players after that, but uh, I think there was some psychological, genuine psychological damage that was done in the loss in that grand final. Um, 09 was a flash in the pan. It was proven to be that. Um, we couldn't maintain the type of play that we we rode on the on the back end of the season in that year. So to your question about this year, I guess it comes down to how the players respond mentally to it. Now, I genuinely believe that there was a fire in the belly from last season about how the how the year was ended in that finals match against Penrith um, with the you know some really poor officiating that I won't back away from was the was the reason for that loss. Now this year they can't look to poor officiating that was the cause of no. them losing the grand final. Um, you've got a few players that are moving on. So how do they get impacted by that? This is where probably I like the new having new players coming in. And maybe, because new players coming in bring energy. Just you know, just the fact that it's some new faces, it changes things up a little bit. I think it'll be a good thing. And um further to that, Sixties, I think that maybe one of the more important acquisitions will be a non player signing that we've made in Trent Barrett. Just a, a chance to bring a new focus point, a new sort of point of view to the coaching staff, and you know, just a chance to help the reset because that's what it's going to be heading into this rugby league World Cup, then into the belated preseason. It's going to be a reset for our boys. You know, they've got to find a new focus, got to find a new way to attack. You know, the Titan that is the Penrith Panthers. Yeah, I mean. How much are they going to be impacted by their lost players? I think Api Coruscant is a big loss for them. And Kikau yeah. too. Kikau was immense in this game. He was very, very physical up against Mitch Moses, who absolutely busted his guts trying to make his tackles. Uh, but, yeah, Coruscant is huge. I think they've got uh, Sony Luke penciled in. It's his replacement, sort of, but he's uh, 
I think, you know, knock on wood, Penrith found a way to prove a lot of their doubters wrong across the last three years. But I think there will be a significant setback, uh, setback at dummy half now. Yeah, so, but they've got just got so many quality players. I, I, I heard a lot of people uh, praising Mitch Kenny, and I think he's a very solid sort of dummy half. Um, to me, uh, I put him down in the um, uh, in the Keating category of hookers for uh, Parramatta supporters to maybe relate to. Um, He's he's just solid, um, almost more of a forward than a dummy half, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah I think he's very good defensively, and uh, but I, I don't know that he poses the sort of questions out of dummy half that someone like Coruscant mm-hmm. does. So, but how much will they? How much will they lose there? I think they will lose. They're going to lose a bit of spark in attack. Um, kick out again, they maybe lose a little bit of an intimidation factor on the edge. But without question, because of all the star players, they remain the 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 testing material. They they, mm-hmm. they are the benchmark of rugby league teams at the moment. Um, Parramatta, I, there is no way that the uh, the window closes because I. Quite like the fact that one of our uh, pickups was featured today as the best on field in the uh, state championship. Mm-hmm. Jermaine Hopgood, he he was outstanding. He was the captain of the Panthers. He was the best on field. He's been far too good for New South Wales Cup this year, and he'll be an eel next year. And that is a that's a brilliant uh, acquisition to get because. Uh, I'm sure that the Penrith faithful really didn't want to see him move on, especially when they're losing uh, a significant forward uh, like Kickow. So, um, yeah, Hopkins yeah. went over 200 metres again, four tackle breaks, two tries, a couple of offloads, 44 tackles, only two missed, zero ineffective. So he had a hell of a game. And was I like, don't think we need to go. I don't think we need to go too deep into. Um, any is any of the postmortems about Parramatta at the moment? I think we might explore some of that with Bernie mm-hmm. this week. Um, get him on to have a bit of a wrap up of the season and then have a bit of a chat about uh, the players. Um, you know the overall performances for the year. Um, you know, players who've, who've had a great season. Um, who we're looking forward to arriving at the club is. The, are there any more surprises in store in terms of? Uh, recruitment, but I think, mate, we probably need to start looking at um, getting into a few specific wrap-ups of, of this match. I said to you during the second half, I thought Dylan Edwards was a shoe-in for the Clive Churchill medal. Um, yeah, and I, I thought they might go for Nathan Curry just because he'd gone over 100 metres himself and had been heavily involved in a lot of the tries, but you're a good judge, and uh, obviously it's been Dylan Edwards who would uh, who would go on to win the Clive Churchill medal, and deservedly so too. I mean, Brian, I, T- Brian Tottle right up there as well, but Edwards was outstanding and just relentless. I don't think, and, and obviously I've watched a lot of grand finals over the years, I'm struggling to think of a fullback performance that was much better than that. Maybe like Inglis in... 
the uh, Rabbitohs premiership win in, what was that, 2014? 2014 was the Bunnies, yeah. Yeah, so maybe his performance in that was was right up there. Uh, but it's Dylan Edwards, his, his kick returns tonight, they were largely responsible for making sure that we were on the back foot and all the play was down at, at Parramatta's end of the field because he was getting up to around that 40-metre mark, 35, 40-metre mark on some of uh, on, on those long-distance kicks from Mitch Moses. It, it was just we weren't getting the territorial advantage that we needed to, and he was a big, really big part of that. I, I just thought his carries were outstanding. He was a challenge to the defence every time he moved. He, he just seems to be getting better and better. He's a highly consistent player, but... He's quite a weapon for them, uh, mostly underrated. And I think it's about time that other clubs rated him and started to, you know, put feelers out to get a bit of money offered to him because uh, Lord knows Penrith need to have the marketplace test him even stronger mm. when it comes to um, the retention of players. So uh, he's he's the next one that I think should be targeted. Maybe... You know, maybe he's Gutho's getting a bit older, so maybe a couple of years down the track, it might be that uh, Parramatta targeted Dylan Edwards. But um, yeah, I, I just I don't think there was anything clever in me nominating Dylan Edwards. I just don't. I can't even recall, as I said, too many fullback performances that were better than what we saw tonight from him. Yeah, he was uh, one of the players that made a significant difference between the two teams. And, you know, we sort of obviously make the direct comparison to Gufferson. It actually has been revealed by BA in the post game that Guffo played, I think, this week and last week with a broken hand, which uh, probably explains some of his struggles this week and it makes his effort against the Cowboys that much more impressive. Uh, unfortunately for Guffo, though, you know, he, once again, we talk about players going back on the tape, there'll be some stuff he's going to be absolutely frustrated with himself with. When he goes back and looks at it, particularly, I think the uh, Sorensen try, where he, I think he just he went the wrong way on the fifth tackle and vacated that space behind the posts, and then you know there, there was a tackle on uh, Byron Toto and a, a chance to cut down Charlie Staines too, which were difficult shots that, given the high standards he'd hold himself to, he would want to make them. But um, now that I've had a chance to reflect on him, I'm far less upset from those things. I think the the kick for Sorensen was a, a bit of a gut punch for us, but it happens. When they when they dominate position the way they did, so many line dropouts that they managed to inflict on us, you know, you you're forced into these split second calls, and you just went the wrong way that one time, and we you know paid six points for it. It happens. Yeah. So, it, can we look at the positive and give a three, two, one to Parramatta? I know. Look, we've already talked about the the players for Penrith that were outstanding. We talked about uh, about Dylan Edwards of Kickout, Nathan Cleary. They were strong across the park there. Toto, I think you said he's, he ran over 200 metres. Close but to 300 metres. But, but this is this is a, a Parramatta Reels podcast. We need to focus on, uh, after given that we've given plenty of credit to Penrith for their victory tonight, <laughs> they were dominant, but... Let's now try to single out three Parramatta players worthy of mention. A three-two-one. Where do you where do you go, mate? I'm just trying to think of guys that a you know statistically there's the backing for it, but just on the eye test, the guys that stood up 
against a, an absolutely rabid Penrith forward pack. And my, my first instinct was Ryan Madison. I thought he came on and played some real tough football, got some good offloads away, ran real hard, like real hard, considering how you know strong that Penrith defensive line is. And he was my, my first inclination for the three points, but I'm, I'm not sure. I'm just thinking. Yeah, look, I... I was also the. It was funny the the eye test for me out at the ground said ice was right up there in calculations, and then I saw the stats of eleven missed tackles. Um, but I I thought he was just having a crack all night, and I'm I'm almost going to start going the opposite way. I'm still giving him a point. And and it's it feels strange to do so. Um, and I'm not entirely I'm not entirely comfortable that a player that's missed eleven tackles is getting a point. But I just thought his his work rate was incredibly strong because he made forty eight tackles and he had one hundred and thirty run meters, which put him right up there. Um, it's yeah. I'm I'm going to start off the. I'm going to go the opposite. I'm going to go one, two, three. So I'm going Sean uh, Isaiah Papali'i one. I'm going Sean Lane two. It's funny because I I I just struggled to think of like quality touches for Sean. It felt like he was almost dropping the ball every other carry. He had that I'll say controversial one-on-one strip from Nathan Cleary where the one-on-one strip was fine, but I feel like that's where we'll knock on eight days a week, usually, but what, what I know. Um, for two points for me, 60s, it's... Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I say that, but I'm just trying to think of players that had the impact. And, yeah, it's rough, isn't it? You know, like the halves tried really hard, but just struggled to impose themselves given that they had no platform to work with. So... That's no criticism of Moses and Dill, but it's just the reality of the game. Maybe it is Sean Lane. Like, maybe Sean Lane is my two points. Because even, you know, with the the little quality ball that he saw, he still pounded out 136 metres. Bailey Simonson had some good touches too. You know, I know he got corralled into touch by Dylan Edwards, but, you know, he worked his back to, um, backside off. Yeah, maybe it is Sean Lane. Maybe Sean has the two points. Yeah, and then now working up to the three. This is because we I've I've worked out who's not getting the three, but have got points already. I've probably made it harder going in this direction. Mm. But uh, you know, it's I, I'm I'm almost having to go with Ryan Madison. And I'm not, I'm not discounting as well that maybe Reed was due for some, uh, some recognition as well. But I, I look at Reed and he's missed seven tackles, um, but he's made fifty six. You know, so the blokes that have made the most tackles in the team have obviously missed the, uh, more tackles mm. than anyone else. So there's a, you know, there's a, there's a part of me that feels guilty in in awarding it that way, but. I'm, yeah, seven tackles just ended up too 
too much. Yeah, there. understandably, understandably, yeah. Um, so look, I'm going with Ryan Madison because, and I'm not just going off um, the stats, but the eye test was that he was he played rugged, real tough. He, yeah, he played real tough through the middle, and then you look at the stats, and the stats go, he had 146 running meters, which which put him right near the top of the tree for the team. Uh, equal with uh, Dylan Brown, but coming in behind Clint Gutherson. You talk about the defensive workload of those other boys that made a lot of tackles but missed plenty too. Matto, 44 tackles, one missed, one ineffective. You know, he, yep. he held the line. He was out there. And, and the one criticism you hear from some fans is that Matto, you know, can't play tough in these sort of games. And I think that he sort of put that to bed tonight because in a game where he was up against an absolute rabbit pack of wolves, essentially, he was out there going, you know, shoulder to shoulder, blow for blow off him. So he did fantastically well, which is why I gave him my three points as well. For my 1.60s, like, yeah, you could go ice too. I mean, he, he flashed some nice moments in that second, uh, sorry, second half, the, the back end of that second half. Um, Bowie Simonson too, I thought he did a pretty good job, all things considering. Um, I'm just trying to think, you know, where do I go with it? And maybe it is by maybe it is Bowie for me, the guy that you know came in. Uh, he's converted to centre on the run. He's done a pretty good job. Had a couple of really nice moments in this game, um, and unfortunately couldn't finish it because he popped his shoulder in and out on that Dylan Edwards tackle. But you know, maybe maybe that will be my one point. I guess the thing that be, has become a, a challenge with it, and this is where maybe still awarding the 3-2-1 and we had to because it's the grand final but how how tough is it to award a 3-2-1 when I'm thinking we lost the forward battle as well so I'm even going to contradict myself that <laughs> I, I I still feel that I, I can find the better performers but once again it, it tells you how much of this effort is a team game because we yeah. found we found points in the forwards, you know. In my case, I gave five points. In your case, you gave well, you gave uh, all, six. all six to forwards, and yet it just wasn't enough because Penrith had the likes of Brian Toto and Dylan Edwards starting off their sets. They had James Fisher Harris. You know, you look at their forward numbers, sixties, and and the front row was literally all James Fisher Harris. You know, and then you look at their back row; they're all solid. And as I yo definitely a cut above there with one hundred eighty six meters, and and Lee Martin two hundred fifty five meters, but. You know, just Penrith's incredible outside backs, that one-two punch of Edwards and To'o, and then it lays the platform for these other guys to just work, and that's why they had to get on top of our forward pack, and even then we had forwards still play well, but it wasn't enough because, you know, Reg had a quiet game, Junes had a quiet game, Murata was almost... I, I look at his numbers, it's shocking. Like, that, that is the most un like performance you're ever going to see. Five runs, 41 metres, you know, 21 yeah. tackles and two missed. It's yeah, just, and, and, and that's in that's in forty minutes yeah. as well. Now I know that then <clears throat> there was probably about what fifteen of that that was in the back end of the game where he got bumped out to left centre because Bowie popped his shoulder exactly. <clears throat> but you know there was still plenty of time in that first half for him to get involved and and make a difference. And unfortunately, he just couldn't because that that's the reality of the game. Sometimes it doesn't go that way, and that's how it went. Unfortunately for the Parramatta Reels. Now um, Nathan Brown. Was that did that work at all? I, I look at, I look at his contribution, and I, I, I did see a lot of times during the night where he was charging up out of the line and came up empty. Yeah, I mean, 
the for mine, if you're ju- you're judging Nathan Brown in this game, he comes in as a specialist, right? He's meant to be there to be disruptive to Nathan Cleary, and the, the unfortunate reality is that Cleary, I think, was touched twice, three times, maybe. Like he just had all the time in the world to go to his kicks, and for whatever reason, didn't target Wonga Blake. So you know, we got that going for us. Um, instead, he chose to kick to Mike Casivo and Quentin Gufferson for the vast majority of this game, but still was able to kick effectively because his time to make that decision was just too long. And so on that, I mean, I, I thought Brown tried. You know, there was a couple of carries there where I thought he was trying to rip in, but it just it wasn't happening. But unfortunately, if you judge him on the what would be the mission statement, it certainly didn't play out the way we wanted to. Yeah, well, he he had under 60 running metres and 16 tackles for two misses in 26 minutes. Now, maybe the game just didn't arrive for him, um, but... In, in retrospect, it's almost like it's almost like the third interchange player is cursed in terms of the uh, performance <laughs> in, in, on, a, on a weekly basis because um, he BA hadn't really been able to settle too well. Oh on, no! Look, we, we spoke about it on the podcast that, like we said, we, we called it the floating forward position because no one has been able to nail it down, whether it was Nathan Brown, Bryce Cartwright, Makahesi Makatoa, Offiki Ogden, or anyone. I mean, the only player that had that position on lock was Ray Stone. And unfortunately, yeah. we know what happened with Ray when he put his body on the line to win the game against the Storm way back in round three. You know, unfortunately, Parramatta, and, and more than anything, just our, our movements at the deadline just pointed to it. The fact that yeah. we were so aggressive chasing Marty Tapau and David Clemmer, and we, we couldn't net Ibram due to some interesting decision making from their clubs, you know, with Marty Tapau being at a club that was literally tearing itself apart and Clement being at a club that wanted him gone and yet they wouldn't move him. Yeah, it came back to bite us on the backside, unfortunately. And finally, a, a little bit of a shout out to Jake Arthur getting a, a try in the grand final. He was only on there for the last five minutes. Uh, the, the Eels put on two tries within the last five minutes. Um, and one of those was uh, one where he, he was a great support player, backed up, chased the kick, got the kick first, scored the try. He's now a try scorer in a grand final. Wouldn't have, hasn't won the uh, the match. The team didn't win the match, but that's something for him to build upon and a little bit of a memory there that he's able to take out of the game. So, um, mate, all it, all it leads now is a bit of a chat about the NRLW. Yeah, because, of course, it wasn't the only bit of heartbreak that happened today. 60s were out there, 3.55pm for the kickoff. In the NRLW, the Newcastle Knights, too good, too good. Uh, this one, whereas I, I thought Ashley Klein was okay in our game, I do take a lot more umbrage with what Casey Badger did in this game, and I think it had a lot more of an impact on the result. But in saying that, the Knights were just too good. Uh, they did a lot of homework on our attacking structures, did a great job putting the lid on Taylor Preston. Uh, sorry, uh, put a great, great, a great job putting a lid on her and being really aggressive, jamming her and causing her to have to rush her decisions and otherwise make mistakes. I'm um, just looking at the scoreline here. So 32 12 for the night. So it was a Takarangi double, and we had uh, Emanita Packy scoring, Romy Tetzel, Tamika Upton. Uh, then we had Jesse Southwell and Yasmin Clydesdale. Only two from seven from the Knights on the, the kicking tee, keeping a bit closer than it otherwise would have been. Brooke Anderson actually opened the scoring in this game in the 12th minute with Samaya Tauf crossing in the 50th to bridge the gap to a, a more manageable margin at that point before it blew out a bit. 
Preston went two from two on the kicking tee. And th- this is a game where the stats favoured the Knights in terms of possession, only 51 to 49%, but they were up plus one minute in time possession. Both teams completing fairly similarly. Newcastle 78%, the Parramatta 79%, but then you look at the attacking stats and it's just all one way. Uh, 165 runs, 148, uh, plus 200 in the run metres, plus uh, about 50, 60, plus 64 in the post-contact metres, 10 line breaks to three. Uh, tackle breaks only just slightly favouring the Knights, 30 to 29, but average set distance about one metre in favour of the Newcastle team. Uh, played a ball speed also in favour of the Knights by one-tenth of a second. They had more offloads. They uh, just ran the ball more effectively. Defended slightly better than the Eels. Not not too egregiously different, though, but just made the most of their chances. Started up really well and just did a great job bottling off Parramatta's key playmakers and making the most of their attacking opportunities in the red zone. Yeah, let's just... I'm just going to narrow this right down because as far as I'm concerned, the Newcastle Knights have the two premier players in their lineup in Tamika Upton and Millie Boyle. Uh, securing both of them from the Broncos was an all-time recruitment coup. coup. Yeah. A major coup. As soon as they secured those two when we were doing the previews i just said look out for the newcastle knights because they've they've got the um uh, the quality prop now they've got the fullback it's just going to be standing young halfback and jesse southwell and tamika upton i think is is probably the best player in the game Uh, she was just phenomenal today um, three tackle breaks, two line breaks, an offload, just 181 running metres. But then you look at Millie Boyle, 268 running metres in 43 minutes of football. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, sorry, in uh, uh, sorry, in 57 minutes of football. In 57 minutes of football. I mean, that's that's just a phenomenal effort. From her, um, so and and then, what what can you say about a seventeen year old dominant halfback? Yeah, Jesse Southwell pulled the strings expertly in this game. And what you mentioned with the the Upton stats that don't really tell the story. She had zero try assists, but probably about four or five try involvements where she threw the second to last pass or set up the you know the penultimate pass to uh, lay on the try, but they've just got the core of a great team here. Like you said, that battery of recruits, that brace of recruits from Brisbane that they got in Upton and Boyle will go down as one of the best two-player sort of packages you're ever going to get in the NRLW. Absolutely ridiculous how much it's turned their team around. Uh, But in saying that, 60s, I know we talked about how the boys go back and and rue the missed opportunities when they look at the tape. It'll be true for our girls as well, but... There are a few people I do want to shout out. I thought Samima Taufa gave an absolutely wonderful, uh, I suppose, defeat speech. You know, when she comes up as the, the the captain that didn't win, and you know, sort of almost like an impassioned plea to her team that you know they can go one better next time if they just stick together. Um, likewise, I thought Candy Charrington was outstanding. She worked her backside off, and you know, more shout out to Kennedy as well. She picked up the uh, Veronica White medal for her work off the field been an absolute legend in that capacity, doing so many incredible things for the game and for other people. Uh, but yeah, like just... Uh. Well, it's interesting that we're naming a couple of similar positions with Parramatta's quality players, 
Gail Broughton still learning the game, but at fullback, 140 running metres, eight tackle breaks. Yep. We, just, we, we need to put her in, uh, hopefully, you know, I say this with her coming back, that's my hope, because there is so much untapped potential. We need to have a system in place to put her in better places or, or better opportunities to attack because she's doing so much of it just off the skin of her own back, it feels like. Yeah, yeah. And um, next, of course, is uh, is Kennedy Charrington. 175 running metres, 34 tackles with just one miss. Now, <clears throat> we were talking about her performance out there. Like, when the match was still in the balance... I believe she was uh, one of the best players out there on yep. the field in either team. Yep. I, I thought she was easily the best on the on the Parramatta side, and uh, you know would have would have been challenging uh, the likes of uh, Upton and Boyle you know, for best on field status. Unfortunately, the Knights really did start to you know blow the game away. So. Um, but 175 running meters is just phenomenal, and we've talked about it before. She she gets the dirty yards out there. She's you know there's, there's nothing there's no glory runs that she's doing where you know she's she's getting to have a bit of a free gallop in open space. Yeah, and she's not the one that's teeing off after the fast play of the ball from another middle. She's the one that's laying no. the platform. You know, it, it, it is quite literally the toughest meters you can get in the rugby league game. And she does it every week without any complaints. Just tears in. So, you know. Well, you, the first deals try was on the back of her. Yes, yeah, so she she sucked in four or five defenders with an absolutely withering run that just went for post contact meter after post contact meter, which then paved the way for Brooke Anderson to have a cheeky little dart over. So it's one of those ones where you don't get the try assist in the column, but that is a hundred percent a Chendi Kennedy Kennedy Charrington try assist. Yeah, and and people that. Are only watching on te- on television. Haven't haven't really got an idea. Uh, if you meet Kennedy, Kennedy, bear in mind she's a prop, but she's she'd be about five foot three, five foot four. Like where and and the same can be said for Samima Taufa. Samima's not not a, a big woman either. She's she's only a short woman, and she's made one hundred and forty one running meters. Score a try. 40, Scored a try, um, 40 tackles as well. Like, again, we're, we're talking about someone there who is the quality in the Eels team that you want to hang on to. And, um, yeah, so they were they were really the three standout players for the Eels as far as yeah. I was concerned. You talk about three to ones, it's pretty, pretty easy to rack them up amongst those three players. I don't know how you want to split it 60. No, to I'm not. I'm, I, you know what? I'm not going to split them into a three-two-one because I think it's, I think it's just when you've had a when you've had a loss because you heard how I was, you know, double tracking over what I said where I was, I was debating myself my choices because I felt that new because the um, the Panthers in the NRL dominated the middle of the park it felt incongruous for me to award match points, you know, best on field points to forwards. But by the same token, you know, it, it was with Penrith winning all over the park. If I'm trying to find the three, two, one, 
I'm still looking at the at, at the blokes that caught the eye the eye test and then backed up. Oh, the look, I, I am quite confident in my pick for Ryan Madison for my three points. Like I, I felt like he stood tall in this game, but once again, it just it circles back to how much of this effort is a team effort, and it's not just you know in your forwards; it is forwards, backs, it's combined arms, and that's what made Penrith's effort all the more impressive. And Newcastle's too, but Penrith's especially in this game was that they just had seventeen players firing on all cylinders tearing in for 75 minutes of the highest quality football you're going to ever see. Yeah, so when it comes to the uh, the girls, the NRLW team, uh, I look forced. I'll go um, three for Kennedy, mm-hmm. um, two for Samima, and one for Gale. I think that's probably the way I go too, mate. Um, I mean, and that, that would be a lot of our three two ones in the NRLW this year, all three players being obviously outstanding for a number of games for the Parramatta Reels. And unfortunately, like the men, falling short in the decider. But like we said, we don't describe to the theory that you have to lose one to win one, but it doesn't mean that you can't better yourself from a grand final loss. Hopefully, like the boys, our girls can focus on a huge season in 2023 and turn the pain of the grand final loss this year into jubilation and triumph next year, mate. Well, we saw the pain in... Oh, that 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 speech was all heart. Like seriously, I don't know if they showed it on broadcast. I assume they would have. But if you missed it, like what you can understand why she is the team captain. Like it, it was such an impassioned, heartfelt, gut wrenching speech. Like she had to compose herself because the tears were coming. Like just that's how much it hurt her. But at the same time, she knows that there is greatness in this team. Yeah, uh, and yeah. I agree. And, and I've banged on about. Um, what I believe about Samima when it comes to captaincy, and just the the level of in, of intelligence, the the communication skills, the um, uh, the inspiration that she would draw um, and provide for her teammates. It, I, I just think she's an outstanding captain. Yeah, wonderful and, player, outstanding captain. Uh, and you, um, you, you really want to like. There's some, there's a core group of players there, and we've and we've mostly, you know, we pretty well mentioned them. But we, we know that this, if they can keep a lot of them together, that there's going to be further growth next year, mm-hmm. and uh, and the and the chance for them to again feature in finals football. But um, you know, it's going to be a challenge for them. It's going to be a challenge for every team to retain players with four new teams coming in and, and player contracts being, uh, you know, completely available for, um, you know, teams to go and, and maybe plunder a couple of clubs. And, um, you know, hopefully we don't lose too many, but we will. you'd expect we will lose some. So, uh, mate, we will talk with Bernie in a real post-mortem of the season. I don't know that we need to go much further than we have tonight. It's It's been, I'm feeling, I have to be honest, mate, I'm now feeling really, really emotionally drained. It's um, it's hit hard right now, uh, but <clears throat> it's it's one of those things where I'm proud of the season that the, the fellas have had. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that the window is closing in any way, shape or form. You just would have liked to have been, as a spectator, more involved in the game for longer than what we were. Yeah, tonight. it's such a shame, isn't it? Because a 
core of uh, the Olympic Stadium was just the, it was a, literally a cauldron ready to boil over of Parramatta energy if we could have just latched onto something in that first half. And unfortunately, it wasn't there to be had. And uh, that's more the tragedy, isn't it? But like you said, there's only so much you can really talk about in the immediate wake of a loss like this or losses like this, considering the NRLW too. And, uh, and, and that, again, a shout-out that I've uh, put on social media just to those Penrith supporters that uh, there was that unfortunate group of supporters that liked to do the We Hate Parrot chant, and uh, they tried to get it started a number of times towards the latter part of the game when it was obvious they were going to win. Um, but there was also a lot of Penrith supporters that weren't joining in uh, with it. Um, so kudos to the Penrith supporters that weren't um, going with the, the hate chant, uh, <laughs> which, you know, they, they, they are such a strong football operation out there. They don't need rubbish like that. They really don't. And and I think probably there's a lot of supporters who get a bit embarrassed when they have people that that start doing that sort of stuff. It's not it's not clever. There's nothing clever about that. There's, yeah. It's not needed. And they were worthy champions again this year, and they've they're now back to back and every chance of doing a three peat, something that hasn't been done since the Eels in eighty one, eighty two, eighty three. So. Uh, maybe we might leave it there, mate. Um, yeah, we'll wrap up here in this particular episode for sure, mate, but we're far from done when it comes to reviewing the season and also starting to get a look towards 2023. And, of course, there's a rugby league World Cup in between. So our work continues. 60s, it feels like it never stops, but we do love doing what we do. So as much as it hurts tonight and the pain is real, and I understand that fans are going to want to lash out and, and sort of vent because that is what this sort of, these sort of losses do to you. You know, just remember that everyone's hurting, so measure your words when you're saying because you can always think twice before you type it out on the internet. That's the benefit of, you know, hitting the comment button before you get there. So treat your brothers and sisters well when it comes to football because everyone's hurting right now. But we'll be back just as Eels will 60s because there's plenty to look forward to. Like you said, the window isn't shut. It's far from it. We're built to compete moving forwards 100%. And uh, hopefully everyone can join us in that journey because – this team can get it done. I am more confident than ever in saying that as much as this year hurts, this team can go one further. So just believe in them. Go your wheels. Yes, sir. <laughs>